Kitty Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Tabitha Kusera. Tabitha is a level three, fear-free and low-stress handling certified RVT, CCBC, and KPA-CTP. She's the owner of Chirrups and Chatter Cat Behavior Consulting and Training and Positively Positive Dog Behavior Consulting and Training. She loves educating others through writing, behavior consulting, and lecturing on all things cats, including TNR, kitten socialization, feline-friendly handling, and more. She enjoys the opportunity to help people better understand and relate to cats. Tabitha, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, no, this is great. We were talking earlier, and I was like, I'm sure you've been on the show before, and uh, it turns out you haven't, but you were part of our online cat conference and did a fantastic presentation there, and it was great to meet you through the online cat conference, and it's great to have you on the show, so I really appreciate you joining me today. Before we take this deep dive into your specialties, do you want to just share with our listeners a little bit about how you developed a passion for cats? I'll try to be short and sweet, which is really hard (laughs) when I'm talking about cats. Anyone that knows me knows this. But I grew up with animals. It was normal to have a turtle, two cats, a dog, all this lovely stuff. And then as I got older, I wanted to be a veterinary technician. Thankfully, I'm one of those people who knew what I wanted to do when I was pretty young, which helped. So I became a registered veterinary technician so I could take care of animals literally um, for a living. As I was teching, because I helped out at shelters, but I also worked at veterinary hospitals, I saw a lot of disturbing patterns. For example, cats getting euthanized due to behavioral issues that could easily be prevented or could have been helped, or a lot of clients coming in to the clinic with their cats, and we would euthanize them on the same day we met them. And it wasn't because these clients didn't love their cats more than anything, It was because a lot of people are unaware of cat's subtle signs of pain. So by the time they're noticing them lethargic, anorexic, and vet visits aren't the normal for cats, by the time they bring them in, the cats were so ill that humane euthanasia was the best. And I saw this happen over and over again. And then I saw a lot of stereotypes and scapegoating of cats, whether I was seeing it towards feral cats or a cat house soiling and someone telling me it was out of spite, which cats, that's not the case. That's what got me more into behavior. And then I realized there's very limited resources on cat behavior. As a veterinary technician, I could barely find any. So I was like, how in the heck is the general public and rescues finding accurate information on feline behavior? So that's what kind of got me into my my path to becoming a certified cat behavior consultant and starting to do clicker training with cats and cooperative care with cats because I love my dogs and my other animals. But unfortunately, I feel like cats are very stereotyped, even by the people that love them. So cat lovers are part of the people that say these things like my cat is an a-hole or my cat doesn't learn. Like, it's funny because I ask him to sit and he doesn't sit. Ha ha ha. People don't realize that those stereotypes result in pretty serious things. Like if you feel like your cat can't learn and you're being told that by veterinary professionals and shelter professionals, even if it's a joke, when your cat starts peeing out of the box, you're going to say, my cat's spiteful. He can't learn. I'm just opening the door. 
So that's what really got me into everything cats. And I love humans, cats, and animals. I'm one of those unicorns. So I then started doing everything in my power to educate people about cats. And it's been awesome. People have been super receptive. And I know so many people that now clicker train their cats and they're enriching their cats and their cats are living their best lives. It's awesome. So you just packed a ton of information in there, and I have so many questions kind of rattling around my head. But first and foremost, looking at your discovery period, I look back at the times that I've been involved in animal rescue, and there are many moments that I can pinpoint very specifically. Like, I saw something, and I said, I don't want to ever see that again. One example being a dumpster full of 25 kittens, most of them with their eyes closed, with beer bottles splattered all over the place. And I'm like, you know, we're just not having this again. No, no, this is just not right. And it seems based on what you were talking about that there are a lot of things you were seeing that was like, ah, ah, no, 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 this is there's there's another way. And and I want to do what I can in order to make sure that we're not going to see this again. Am I putting words into your mouth? Or is that an accurate representation? That's pretty spot on. Unfortunately, we all know in the rescue world and in the veterinary world, I feel one of the biggest reasons why cats are euthanized or behavior. And another, this is another thing I've recognized and I've recognized there's limited resources and the things that are available aren't very cat friendly. Like for example, a litter box sold in a pet store, generally I would never recommend. They're entirely too small among other things. So I noticed that humans aren't really set up for success for cats. So they love their cats. It's just, they don't have the education to do their best. Which is why, kind of like you said, I want to do everything in my power to prevent that from happening. And that goes along with what we're going to talk about with the feline-friendly handling. Because as a vet tech, you know, I have to do things that cats may not like, that may cause stress to them. And none of us start in this field for money. (laughs) We do it because we love animals. And feline-friendly handling, fear-free handling, whatever you want to call it, it allows me to do everything in my power to limit fear, anxiety, and stress in cats, which also helps them not have as many behavioral problems or not have as much stress. And then I feel better at the end of the day. So I definitely relate to what you were saying. So we're going to take a deep dive into this. I'm going to ask you specifically, what is feline friendly handling? What does that mean? So if I had to define it in a way, um, it would basically be using a less is more approach. So you would assess the cat's body language and use restraint methods that the cat prefers versus what I was taught in veterinary technician school was literally just walk up to the cat, grab it and do your thing. Now, by assessing cat's body language, I can see what works for them because we all know cats are individuals, yet I was taught to hold them all in the exact same way, which unfortunately, I don't think we're setting veterinary technicians up for success because one technique does not work for all cats. And if you don't understand feline communication, which I did not learn in veterinary technician school, body language, I don't understand how we can accurately restrain them because we're going to not be able to read when they're saying, please stop, or I hate this. And then we're going to say something like the bite came out of nowhere, which is never the case. Can you give me some examples of where feline-friendly handling would be, like examples of what would not be feline-friendly handling versus what would be if I say, let me give you a, I'll serve up a 10-week-old <laughs> semi-feral kitten. Okay. Um, so a 10-week-old semi-feral kitten, I commonly see people, especially with smaller animals, which is why I think not just cats, but dogs too, but especially kittens, because they're so small, even though they're exhibiting terrified behavior, they're cowering, their eyes are completely dilated, their ears are back, they're screaming, we still approach them full frontally. 
So for example, if the cat was in a trap or a carrier, we would reach in, grab their scruff and pull them out onto generally a cold metal table. That's honestly what I was taught to do in tech school. Um, Don't assess, just reach and grab, reach into the scary box, which is also very unsafe for us. And what I would do now with feline-friendly handling techniques is, for example, that carrier trap would be covered with a feloa-infused towel, which is a cat pheromone. I would have it on an elevated surface because most cats prefer to be elevated. So it would either be on the exam table or elevated onto a chair. I would have a warm towel or yoga mat on the exam table because cold metal tables are no fun and they're slippery. Um, I would have some high value food like tuna, um, churro paste, anchovy paste, a variety because I like different things than you like. And kittens all have different tastes as well. And then I would actually take the carrier apart because just reaching in, I don't know. Now that I know more, it's just so unsafe. First off, it's terrifying for the cat. And it's literally, we're not assessing anything and just reaching in. And I would understand if a cat, if I wasn't assessing their body language and I reach in, they're hiding and cowering more. It's understandable and appropriate behavior for them to bite me. So instead I would take the carrier apart and then I would most likely cover the kitten because the semi-feral kitten will most likely be fearful. So I would use the towel and a burrito wrapping technique. And I would most likely cover the eyes because most cats prefer to hide. That Hiding is a natural coping mechanism. And then I would pull the cat up and towards my chest. And then you would be able to do whatever whatever you needed to do. Hold that cat uh, or kitten to help with socializing. And, and I would assume you would be saying, you know, a semi-feral, feral behavior versus aggressive behaviors from cats take different approaches. Actually, very similar approaches. So I hear words like fractious a lot, uh, which I'm not a fan of that word, because I think labeling is a big problem in the veterinarian and shelter worlds. And I'll be honest, I deal with the most fearful of fearful cats. And I very rarely see a truly fractious cat. By definition, fractious just means unhandable. But I'm also very comfortable with handling techniques. So that's a whole nother thing because I feel like in our field, we don't take handling serious as a skill, which is really concerning because I'll be honest with you, I much rather have a skilled handler than a skilled phlebotomist any Mm -hmm. day. So to be fair... Again, I don't think we're setting up each other for success because a lot of people see my videos where I'm like, I know it doesn't look like I'm restraining this animal, but I am. And I can restrain very fearful animals, which some people can see aggression due to fear, but I still use the label fearful. They may be exhibiting aggressive behaviors, but it's because they're fearful. Now that is not for everyone. That's why I always ask vets, how long was your first spay? And usually they say a few hours, which is appropriate. And then I ask them, how long is your spay? now, most of them say like 15 to 20 minutes. But when it comes to handling, which is the biggest part of our job, honestly, we don't practice and we just use the same technique over and over and over again. So I think we really needed to practice it like anything else. And in shelters and in veterinary clinics, I love it because there's so many different people with amazing skill sets. Like for example, I'm probably the go-to handler, but I may reach out to, hey tech, we call you the vampire. You're amazing at body. We're going to set this up instead of trying to do everything ourselves, which is a whole nother issue. (laughs) 
But I think in summary, basically feline friendly handling is really important, but it's not something that I can say, hey, Stacy, I'm going to tell you how to do this in five minutes and you're going to be able to do it. So it's definitely something that we want to practice. When I first started with my handling techniques, I practiced on stuffed animals um, because you don't want to first start. I'm going to start with a really fearful cat, even though I am unsure of what I'm doing. So you want to set yourself up for success too. And now I have probably 35 to 40 restraints just off the top of my head that I could just quickly change based on how that cat is doing versus what I had before, which was one restraint, which escalates fear, anxiety, and stress. So you have all these different tricks of the trade that you've developed over time. You mentioned something about videos. So are there videos online that people can look at? I'm actually working on finally starting a YouTube channel. I have a lot of lovely jobs and I'm very thankful for them. So I'm working on starting a YouTube channel, which should be up in the next month or so. But on Chirrups and Chatters Facebook, I share a lot of feline friendly handling techniques in the real world because I do low cost vaccine clinics. I do TNR. I work with veterinarian clinics. Um, So I share a lot of my examples in real life. Also on my personal Facebook page, as well as in my lectures, because I I think videos are really important because I think some people like the idea of what I'm saying, but what you have to realize when we've only been taught to scruff and stretch, and that's all we know, it's really important to always challenge ourselves and learn more, but I know it can be difficult sometimes. So when I have real life videos of, Hey, I just drew blood on this cat and she just was standing and eating the whole time. And her body language was relaxed. People start to get it, which is awesome. So I try to get as many videos as I can. That's really great and really important. I mean, even in having this conversation, I'm like, oh, I wish we had some visuals. You know, it's just because, you know, the things that you're describing, I'm sitting here, I'm going like, I want to believe, but since I haven't seen it, seeing is believing. Right. Hey, everyone. Hooch and I are here today to talk about Dr. Elsie's cat litter. Dr. Elsie's cat litter is known to be the best litter on the market, and Hooch agrees. Many of you know that Hooch was a foster cat of mine that I adopted while at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. We did use the Touch of Outdoors litter as we transitioned him from being an indoor-outdoor kitty to an indoor-only kitty. I'm thrilled that Hooch found his home with me, but there were many times when folks would call me saying their kitty didn't use the litter box. I was also thrilled that Dr. Elsie's Cat Attract litter came out as it gave me a resource to share with others that was affordable and in most cases successful in keeping this kitty in their home. As a special benefit to Community Cats podcast listeners, Dr. Elsie's is offering a rebate up to $20 off your first bag of any Dr. Elsie's litter. Just visit drelsies.com forward slash Community Cats podcast to print your rebate or fill out the online form. Try Dr. Elsie's today and you won't regret it. I'd like to ask you a couple questions about clicker training. I'm not necessarily sure a lot of our listeners are really aware of what clicker training is and how can clicker training be used in shelter environment or in any other sort of environment. Can you utilize it even out, you know, in a feral cat colony environment or anything like that? Share with us what clicker training is as it applies to cats and how you've seen it used. Clicker training is just a way to teach animals new behaviors. The click or clicker, we just call a marker. Some people use a verbal marker, like they'll say yes. Some people use a clicker, which makes a small click sound. I'm a big fan of clickers because a click sounds the same way from me that it does from a five-year-old, from a hundred-year-old. First, yes can sound a little different, but again, whatever your preference is. For example, if I was going to teach a cat a target behavior, which I'm a huge fan of, it's when you have them touch a target, which I actually use clicker training with fearful cats 
that's a lot. Um, and it makes a humongous difference. For example, I would use a pencil versus my hand because the animal's fearful. So I don't want to put my hand in their face. And when their nose touches the eraser, I click at that moment. And then I reinforce with a food treat usually, but reinforcers can be petting, play. Just like with us, there's lots of different reinforcers. Food is just the easiest one to focus on. And basically the click just serves as a way to communicate with the cat. That was the behavior I want versus just yelling sit or come and not really giving them criteria or helping them understand. The click is a really cool thing because it helps us communicate with the animal. Like something I do with fearful cats, with kitten socialization, I'm actually not a big fan of the whole holding them thing, which has been commonly used because I that's actually a form of flooding, which means if you were afraid of spiders, I just threw you in a room full of spiders. So if you have a fearful or feral kitten and I go to grab them, they're actually usually frozen in fear. So instead of that technique, I usually start with target training and clicking and treating when they start to walk towards the cage or any behavior towards the cage. Um, We call that capturing, which just means, hey, I'm capturing what you're doing. It might be you just looking at me and then an ear going towards me and then you walking out of the box. I go at a pace you're comfortable with as the cat. And I work with the Cat Positive Program, which is a wonderful program. It's actually supported and sponsored by the Jackson Galaxy Project. And we literally teach shelters feline body language and how to clicker train. And these cats who've been shut down for years come out of their shell in like weeks. It's life changing. I mean, I'm pretty passionate, but clicker training in cats is amazing. And I would love for more people to utilize it. It's just a way to teach them to communicate clearly and I mean, you can teach fun tricks too, like spin and like my cats do agility and they jump through hoops and stuff. But I use it a lot more for behavior modification, getting these fearful cats more comfortable. And then I also do cooperative care, which is where the animal plays a part in their medical care. So for example, my cat is trained to go to a mat. I say meds. He goes to a specific place and he opens his mouth. Oh um, goodness. Wow. You have to realize like it's not that difficult to teach, which is why I'm so passionate about it because as a vet tech, animals lose their lives because people can't medicate them. And I'm not judging. It's a hard thing, but it doesn't have to be. And that's where clicker training and behavior modification really come in. Clicker training cats is so fun. And you can definitely find more information about that on my Facebook page. I'm always sharing videos of clicker training cats. And I actually have workshops on how to teach humans to clicker train cats as well. So let me ask you, I'm going to ask you a um, question, sort of a looking forward question, knowing what you know about rescue. And it sounds like being involved with the Cat Positive program, you've probably gotten some knowledge of other shelters and other programs around the country, and you've seen a lot. How would you look at a future shelter or adoption program? Is is there anything that organizations need to do structurally in order to be able to have these cat behavior programs? Or is it something that can be just implemented like tomorrow after training? A wonderful question. I'll be honest, I'm lucky because I do a lot of education and teaching. So I get to travel to shelters all over the US. And I'll be honest, I've gone to ones with over 60 employees with a lot of funding. And then I've gone to ones that are five people and volunteer based. And the things they are doing are just amazing. So honestly, I think that this is something that any shelter can do because I've worked with foster based. I've worked with, like I said, those really small rural shelters. And then I've worked with a really large scale 
jail shelters. The biggest part is, as you can imagine, consistency and setting up your team for success. So for example, I'm not going to just say, hey, read this handout on clicker training, and then you should do this and then get frustrated uh, with the cat or the staff member. So I'm going to empower my staff and have education for them and allow them to ask questions and practice and get better and look more into resources because there's so many great books and resources out there for them to learn more. And it's a process. Every shelter is different, as we all know. Even when it comes to feline-friendly handling, usually if I'm working with a shelter or a vet clinic, I teach them what it is, why it's important, and then we pick three things to start out with because I need to set up my people for success too. So we choose, and those three things may literally be every cat has a box in their cage. Yes, yes, yes. Um, If I could scream that from the rooftops. Every cat needs a hiding place. Um, So every cat gets a box in their cage. We start to use feel away and we start to give them one puzzle toy. Like that can be an example. But then people, since you're setting them up for success, they kind of really go with it. And I've seen I've seen shelters who've only actually been to a lecture of mine. I've gone to visit them and I'm like, all of this enrichment, your target training, this is amazing. And they're like, I went to your one lecture. I'm like, how did you apply all this? You are a genius. So people are doing amazing things out there with very limited resources. Not that I'm not saying that money isn't important for shelters, But I do feel like I've seen the same results at the shelters with no money that are volunteer based and shelters that have lots of money and staff. So anyone can do it, which is awesome. And it means you can start sooner rather than later. You know, you're not going to say, oh, well, we need to wait till we get our kitty cat agility course set up. That's something that's not the priority. The process is more of the institutional human behavior and how they interact with cats and understanding that word feline communication. You shared that in the beginning of the show. And I think that's incredibly important is feline communication and understanding how we interact with our cats. And it may be in a different manner than what we have seen in the past. I totally agree with you because I always joke when I lecture, I'm like, I'm not throwing shade guys, but as a vet tech, I learned nothing about feline body language. So you most likely didn't either. Um, right. Because right. a lot of us feel like I'm always challenging myself. I never stop learning. Um, I never think I know everything. And I think that's part of the reason why I've gotten to the place in my career. I think it's really important to be challenging ourselves and asking questions. And I've done so many lectures where the people were so wonderful. And they're like, I've had cats for 20 years. And then they come up to me after and they say, I didn't know anything about cats. (laughs) And I always joke, I've had a car for 15 years, guys. I still can't change my oil and I never will. So I'm not saying that experience isn't important, but if you're just doing the same thing and not progressing, then eh, I don't know how important that experience is. So that's a really good point. And to set staff members up for success, because sometimes I feel like sometimes we aren't very nice to each other from what I see. And I treat humans like I treat animals I work with, um, with positive reinforcement. I focus on the positive. I try to set them up for success. And the changes in even the way I've taught since I've gotten into behavior, I've seen so many, so many improvements because I'm always bettering myself. And like I said, someone will go to one lecture and I go to their shelter and there's stuff they're doing. I'm like, oh my you've applied all of this yourself. All I did was give you a few books to read and gave you a lecture. So people are capable of doing amazing things for sure. One person can totally make a difference. Tabitha, if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing, how would they do that? 
they can go to my website, which is chirrupsandchatter.com. I also have a Chirrups and Chatter Facebook and Instagram, and then a Positively Positive Facebook, as well as my personal Facebook. Gotta love social media. Um, (laughs) And I am always happy to share my resources with people. Um, I have a lot of handouts and I have some webinars coming up. I actually have a Fearful Feral Kitten socialization webinar coming up in September that I'm really excited about because as I mentioned before, unfortunately, a lot of the techniques that we were traditionally taught was a lot of force and flooding, holding, grabbing with socialization. And there's a lot of really cool ways that we can use clicker training and behavior modification to make things go a lot quicker. So people can find me there. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would just say, if you want to learn more about feline-friendly handling, of course, I'm going to say, follow me. But also, international cat care, fear-free, low-stress handling, and catvets.com, which is cat-friendly handling, are all wonderful resources where you can literally go there and read articles on, for example, why we aren't scruffing anymore, as well as see videos and get more information. And a lot of it is free, which is awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing that information. We'll make sure we get that in the show notes. And I want to thank you, Tabitha, so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you so much for having me and for everything you do. Education is so important, as well as supporting each other. So please keep doing what you're doing, Stacey. You're wonderful. Oh, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 